Welcome to High Notes with Dr. B, a podcast about brave, courageous, risk-taking women. I want to help us all live a courageous life by challenging you and me about all aspects of our lives. I will feature guests who are guaranteed to inspire you. I will also discuss and review a new book by women. My goal is to challenge myself and you to think about the world around us and lead a life that is about changing for the better. Today, my guest is Adrienne McKeon. She has a PhD in theater and is a Fulbright scholar. She's an author of a book, and it is a really good book. You'll hear us talk about it in the podcast. And she recounts her her travels and her trip to the Ivory Coast and um, while she was on her Fulbright Fellowship. It's called Melting Ivory. You can find it on Amazon. It's really, really good, and it is uh, kind of a nail-biter in many ways. So... I I hope you'll read the book. She also has a podcast, and her business is called That's Allowed. And not allowed as in you may do a thing, but allowed as in that's really loud or singing really loud or saying something really loud. And one of the things that she does uh, with her business is she works with uh, professional people, business owners, and she helps them uh, write, write copy. She helps them define their purpose and figure out what their core values are. And she helps them find a voice and their professional uh, voice in its brand. So she is uh, certainly qualified to do that. And also, if you get a chance, listen to her podcast because it is really good. First season is basically her storytelling, and then second season she begins to have guests. But I love the first season because I love a good story. It's one of the reasons why I like NPR radio and and radio hour and things like that, and even podcasts to a certain extent. If I'm not wanting to learn something, I want to be entertained, and I want it to be really enriching with lots of cool narrative and sounds, and that is her podcast for sure. So... Hopefully you'll you'll give her a listen. It's funny and um, and like I said, entertaining also. I hope you enjoy this podcast. We had a lot of fun um, talking, and I enjoyed going over her book, but also giving you still a little mystery so you don't know what's going to happen in the end. So enjoy this podcast. Adrien. I love your French oui. name. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I have your book. It's on my. Fabulous. Well, anyway, can you, I don't know if you can see it because of the virtual background. Yeah. I believe you. But yeah. Melting Ivory. Life happens for you, not to you. Adrien. Uh, do you say the N-E? Adrien. 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 Okay. Yeah. Uh, now say your last name for me. Is that is that this not French? It McKeon. It's not French. It is not as Scottish. Uh-oh. And the okay. McKean, the whole McKeon story is a whole other story, which another uh, book? I could tell you sometime if you're interested. Yes, <laughs> a whole other book. Yeah, but and you have a let PhD. us say I come from survivor stock. Uh, yes, I have a PhD. It is specifically in performance studies, but most people don't know what that is. So. I say drama. I do. Uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of the bastard love child of like theater and sociology. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect union that is. Yes. Perfectly unholy union. <laughs> the sensible side and the emotional side. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Perfect balance of things, all things. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, I'm a big fan of the arts, so, and I love theater, and I especially love live theater, and I know that your book is, because I read it, it is uh, all about how you went to the Ivory Coast, and Mm -hmm. um, on a Fulbright scholarship, which is phenomenal, thank you. uh, Thank you. Yes, for um, representing uh, us in that way there, and and then... um, hoping to study a certain kind of 
theater, right? That's that's yeah. sort of rare. And what I, from what I can gather, it's it's a very rare and um, uh, culturally specific type of theater in on the Ivory Coast. So tell us about that. So what I was hoping to study was for a while there in Cote d'Ivoire and kind of in West Africa in general, they had this really exciting politically engaged theater scene where they were using the French language to kind of critique French values and French culture and to ask these really tough questions about what they wanted to hold on to from the colonial culture that had been sort of imposed upon them and what they wanted to reject and say, no, this is not us. This is not how we do things. And apparently it was a very exciting time and I totally missed it because by the time I got there, all of that had been completely shut down by the Ministry Mm. of Culture. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what they were doing was basically going back to basics and returning to their folkloric traditions. And so there was a a big resurgence in traditional uh, theater forms where they'd have a lot of dancing and singing and folktales and sketch comedy and stuff like that, which was really fun uh, to be a part of, but not at all what I had expected I was there to learn about. Right. Sounds almost vaudevillian. Yeah, it's a, it's African vaudeville. I mean, <laughs> it's sort of the traveling uh, mm-hmm. oral, you know, oral culture. So, so everything's memorized. You don't have written scripts. Everything's a little bit impro- improvised. Uh, everything's going to be a little bit different every time. Wow. Yeah. 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 Which I Which love is, that kind of theater, actually. I, I really do love too. I do too. improvised. I love improvised theater. And um, I, I direct and do a, 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 a magic flute, which, you know, is an opera, Mozart's opera. Yeah. And, and I do that where it's improvised, not the music part, but the spoken part, because it's a singspiel. And I, I love that. And I think it teaches actor, young actors the truth about how to really act, not just stand on stage and, you know, oh, this is supposed to be my scared look or this is supposed to be my, you know. And of course, opera yeah. singers are, are, are such great actors in general. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Depends. That's the, Depends that's on the, the actor, joke. But... No, it's gotten better for sure. It's definitely gotten better. But but my point is yeah. is that the, the acting part's not been part of our our tradition, but it has become that. And so, I really want my the, the people who study with me to be able to do more than one thing. And so, being able to act through improvisation, it just makes them grow so much as actors. Yeah, yeah. But it's very difficult as a scholar to study this kind of theater because there's no script. There's mm-hmm. no, you know, I, I don't have any evidence <laughs> that this even occurred basically. Right. I just sort of, and, th- and that's part of why I started writing everything down. Uh, I started keeping this meticulous journal because I thought I- I'm the only one recording this. I'm the only one who even is seeing this happen. And uh, I don't know if you kind of surmised this, but I ended up cutting out a lot uh, of of what I had taken down as sure. notes, um, because in the end it wasn't relevant to the through line of the larger story mm-hmm. that ended up happening <laughs> mm-hmm. through all of this, the adventure that I kind of went through. But um, but I, it, when I was writing all that stuff down, it it all seemed so important and relevant, and so it was one of the most difficult and painful experiences of my life, I would say, to actually have to cut this thing down after the fact Mm -hmm. and say, this part is irrelevant. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no kidding. Uh, I mean, I, I liked the book very much. I loved it. I, I, I liked it so much because um, for one thing, I had a hard time like putting it down and I'm a, I'm a read before I go to bed kind of girl, even though I'm, Uh I'm a, a very, I would say, voracious reader. I love to read and can read quite quickly. But I just really was like wondering if I go to sleep, you know, what's going to happen next? So I would find myself staying up a little later and a little later to try to figure out because I'd read just enough about the book that I knew that there was going to be some sort of uh, um, male in the picture that was going yep. to be abusive and was going to try to control you. And I thought I had it figured out early. <laughs> right? and I, I actually, I did this on purpose. I 
introduce a lot of male characters, you know, because I have that first scene where it sets up that like yeah. something very bad is going to happen to me eventually at the hands of a man. And so I introduce a lot of male characters right. without letting right. you, without showing my hand as to which right. one is going to be. Uh, people who already knew the story knew mm -hmm. right away, of course, who it was mm -hmm. going to be because they mm -hmm. know the end of the story. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I've heard this from a lot of people that they were like, oh, who is it? I got to know. Mm -hmm. And my mom, it was so funny. She actually stayed up all night uh, reading it last night. And so she's really tired today. She's kind of grumpy at me. She's like, I couldn't put your book down. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, and you come from a very religious background. Am I well, right no, about that? No, I come from, so I come from a very eclectic background. My okay. mother, uh, my mother is very religious and she okay. has a master's That's what it was. Yes. Yes. And she, that's she what it was. was married to an Episcopal, Episcopal minister. Oh my gosh. An Episcopal minister yes. at the time. Um, but when I was growing up, my father was Quaker. And so we mostly went to Quaker meetings. Uh, That's still pretty conservative. I mean, Quakers are not, you know, no, dope not smoking Methodists. The, <laughs> you in, know, in, in Boulder, where I grew up, the Quakers are very oh, well, liberal. Maybe, maybe uh, in Boulder, but everybody smokes yes. dope in Boulder. <laughs> in Boulder, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I had a really wide variety of. Um, religious options presented to me as a kid and I found very quickly that there was something good in all of them and sure. there was something very wrong with all of them which is <laughs> yes. that they thought everybody else was wrong yes, exactly <laughs> and right yeah and so I just started kind of taking a little bit from everywhere and saying this works for me this doesn't so much work for me and creating my own sense of spirituality because I definitely have a strong sense of spirituality I feel like things happen as they should. There is definitely a power in, you know, of creation in the universe. I don't know what to call that because I'm only looking at a teeny tiny little facet of it. Mm -hmm. And so right. to even name it seems kind of, you know, out of my jurisdiction. <laughs> <laughs> and so a lot of times I just call it the universe or the powers that be, but you can call it God, you can call it whatever you want. Uh, but I definitely feel like there's a lot more to this than what we can see and understand a lot more. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that I was agree. one of the, one of the things that I experienced there too, was they have a very strong belief in uh, witchcraft mm -hmm. uh, at which I figured out very quickly often just means poisoning. <laughs> there are poisoners, very, very adept poisoners uh, who people call witches. Um, right. But they also have these guys uh, called fetichers, which is kind of like a witch doctor. And these are the guys who do the, um, you know, they're more like the shamans. Mm -hmm. And they do these kind of healing ceremonies and things like that. And mm -hmm. I experienced both of those things in unfortunate. Yeah, I have some ways. questions about that, actually. Please, so, yeah. Please. yeah. It, it, well, I, what are your questions? Well, okay. I'm sorry. I, your, your book, in your book, you talk about how you woke up not feeling well and you had two small holes in the palms of your hands. Okay. Right. So did you ever figure that shit out? Because that yeah, creeps so, me out. I know it's so creepy. And the, the whole, I mean, I'll never know exactly what happened, right? But here's right. what I've been able to piece together from things that other people told me uh, mm -hmm. is that while I was sleeping, Someone in the household, and I'm not sure who it is, sort of suspect it was the, the old woman, the la vieille, the kind of female head of the household, or uh, that she would uh, have someone come in and do this. Yeah, this was his wife, yes? The uh, wife no, of the man no. who you were living with, She's or no? Uh, Anon is the kind of like uh, head of the troop, but his parents were la vieille and le vieux. So okay. the old man yes. and the old woman is what mm -hmm. they called them. Mm -hmm. So this was his mother. Okay, um, gotcha. And so I don't know if she did this herself, if she had someone else did this. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. All I know is that probably in the middle of the night while I was sleeping, someone was coming in and putting thorns into my palms with poison on them. But don't you think they must have drugged you so that you wouldn't wake for that? Because how would you not wake? 
That's what I want to know, right? I have so many questions around this. And I, I only know to. of this because there was a little girl and I actually, I cut her out of the story because she was so near and dear to my heart. She became like a daughter to me. And I did not include her in the story because she still lives with these people. Mm. And if they ever yeah. get hold of this book somehow, mm-hmm. I don't want her name to even come to their lips. I don't want them to know in any right. way how she yeah. helped me. Yeah. But what she would do is she would see people coming and going from my room. And she would try to explain to me in the morning what had happened. And I, I first thought that she was just seeing things or telling me about a dream she had mm-hmm. or something like this. But, but when this started happening to me, I started to realize, whoa, wait a second. What did you say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was that thing about someone coming into my room at night? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and she, you know, of course was like uh, threatened six ways to Sunday if she told me anything about what was going on. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was being slowly poisoned which is really crazy, you know? Have you ever looked um, up like thorns of poisonous plants from the Ivory Oh gosh, Coast? and I don't think, I, I think what they did was they used the thorns as a, like a delivery system. Do you I know see. what I'm saying? Okay. It's yeah, almost yeah, like yeah. A, a needle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know why. I don't know if this is like a traditional method or if they just, my hands were like what was available to them because I, you know, had them uh-huh. outside of the sheets or I have no idea. <laughs> I this couldn't was tell so you. creepy. It was really, it creeped me out big time. It creeped me out too. I mean, I was like, what is going on? Yeah. And, um, but I start, you know, like I I said, I started to get very sick Mm -hmm. and that was when, you know, these other women, the, you know, the Dida women at, uh, um, Lowe's place started to say, Hey, you know, what, what's going on here? Is someone mad at you? And I was like, what do you mean? Is someone mad at me? Does this mean that someone's mad at me? (laughs) You know? And so that was where I started to sort of put things together that like, this was Mm -hmm. a deliberate thing that had someone had done to me, which was just so out of my realm of understanding at the time. They're like, I've been nice to everyone. Why would someone do that to me? Right. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, the cultural, the, the cultural understanding of, of, of a place like that, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and also the fact that some of that culture is hidden to you because they don't want you to know Mm -hmm. about the culture. They're not going to tell you about the culture because you're an outsider. It's none of your business. That's right. And, And, you know, I mean, as far as I know, it could have been, they could have been giving me what they thought was a love potion. They could have been giving me something. I have no idea what their intentions were. I just know that it made me very sick. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was really quite, and I had so many questions. I highlighted it and was like, ask her about this yeah. because <laughs> I wondered because if in hindsight was. you figured it out, you know, but anyway, yeah. so yeah. So, so go, go on for there and, 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 um, and tell us, you know, a little bit about, Tell us what you would like us to know and not enough that people won't want to read the book. <laughs> exactly. So one thing that happened while I was there, so this is, I went there partly because Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, was the most stable country in the region and had been right. for a really long time. And it's beautiful, right? And it's beautiful. It's absolutely yeah. beautiful. And so I, here I am thinking, Oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm playing it safe. I'm going to a nice stable country where there's no uh, political people. Well, and you speak the language and I speak the language for the most part. The, the nice thing about that country, as opposed to a lot of the other African countries for an outsider is that they use French as a lingua franca because they Mm -hmm. have so many native dialects that they can't understand each other if they mm-hmm. speak only their native tongue. And so they have to have something as a market language to use. Right. And so that's what French has become is the, the lingua franca. And so mm-hmm. that was really handy for me. I had a mm-hmm. hard time when I moved from there uh, to Dakar where they speak Wolof and I did not speak Wolof. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, you know, for a foreigner at first, Abidjan just seemed like the great place to be. They had all mm-hmm. the beautiful tropical fruits and all the beautiful mm-hmm. tropical flowers and mm-hmm. uh, wonderful music and dancing and great fish. I was going <laughs> to say, I understand the food to be quite amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, did I put on some weight. But anyway, <laughs> so 
what I quickly realized, though, was that things were not as they seemed. And there was a lot of unrest in the you know, political situation there. And it, be, it, it became clear a little bit, you know, at a time over, over time. And at first it was because I realized, oh, these people are really upset with the Ministry of Culture and things don't seem to be going very well. And there just seemed to be a lot of petty corruption, you know, things like people expecting a bribe <laughs> for small things. And, and so I was like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's unfortunate. I thought that things were kind of better here than they, they seemed. And then there was a situation where the military had been uh, deployed for a long time and had not been paid. And this had been in the news a couple of times that the, you know, they, they hadn't gotten paid. And so then on Christmas Eve, there was a coup d'etat. And right. the military just took over the government. And this was just such a shock to everyone. It would be like if our military took over our government. Like people just did not have any kind of frame mm -hmm. of reference for that or understanding mm -hmm. what was going on. And so everyone right. was really scared. It was actually a lot like what's going on right now where people don't know what's happening. It's very far out of their realm of, you know, lived mm -hmm. experience. And so everyone was kind of scared and, and huddled at home and uh, just listening to the radio. You know, everyone's kind of huddled around the radio, like trying to figure out what's going on. Now, I had actually danced for this ousted president <laughs> a couple of weeks before this happened. So I'm sitting here thinking like, well, that's ironic. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, but I didn't think any further into that. It didn't occur to me that I might actually be seen as the enemy at this point. Wow. And I was seeing someone I wasn't supposed to be seeing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And so I snuck out to go and, and, and see this boy who was not supposed to be seen. And on the way there, the strangest thing happened. I'm walking on this street where there's usually lots of people. It's usually a lot of hustle and bustle. And there's basically no one because there's what they call a couvre-feu, which is where we get the word curfew. Mm -hmm. And basically just means like a stay-at-home order, like don't mm -hmm. go outside. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I broke it to go and see mm -hmm. my boy. So here I am walking and then all of a sudden a truck, a flatbed truck full of military dudes comes around the corner and they're, you know, stripped to the waist and they've got their strings of ammo crisscrossed across their bare chests and they're drinking bumse, which is like bathtub gin mm -hmm, straight from mm -hmm. the bottle. That's a great they, combination. <clears throat> I know. And they've got AK-47s, even yeah. better. Drunk and they're shooting them men. into the air. Oh, yeah. Fabulous. Shooting them into the air because they're so excited that they've taken mm. over the government and they're celebrating. Mm. And again, when I saw this, I had just such strong cognitive dissonance. Sure. It didn't feel real to me. It felt like I was watching a bad movie from the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Expect so Schwarzenegger to come around the corner yeah. any minute. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And so I was almost laughing. I was like, what am I seeing right now? Like, this is crazy. And it seemed exciting and scary and weird. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, as they're getting closer, I heard one of them yell Adjwa, which was my African name. And a lot of people knew that name. It had been in the papers and things like that. Right. And also you had been on TV <clears throat> dancing and got became famous for your booty dance. That's right. My Mapuka. 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 Anyway, so yes, I was a pseudo celebrity, I would say by this point. Um, mm -hmm. uh, strangers came up and gave me advice on my <laughs> non-existent love life that they thought I had with uh, members of other groups like Magic System. Uh, <laughs> and so I was like, what? What is happening right now? <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, so I see these guys and one of them yells, Adjoa. And so for just a second, I'm thinking, oh, good. They know who I am. Right. And then I see all of them kind of at the same time turn their AK-47s in my direction. Jeez. And someone says something about La Blanche, you know, the white girl. Mm -hmm. and, and they look angry. And it, for the first time, dawns on me that I might be seen not as you know, oh, look, a celebrity, but oh, a traitor. Mm -hmm. 
And so I have very little time, of course, to think about anything while this is happening. I'm just right. standing there like a deer in headlights. And I see the boy that I'm supposed to be going to see. And he's kind of frantically gesturing to me because he's way too far away from me to do anything. Um, and, <clears throat> and I'm looking at him. And then I feel male hands grab me from behind and put me down onto the ground. And then I feel this man's weight kind of shift on top of me. And that was the moment where I kind of woke up from my trance and I started to panic because, you know, getting shot at by AK-47s was completely out of my realm of experience. Sure. But getting raped, that one yes. I know. And mm -hmm. I thought, okay, this is awful because my guy is watching this happen. And here mm -hmm. I'm putting myself in his position and thinking how traumatic this situation is for him to mm -hmm. not be able to save me. Right. Because there's a rain of gunfire happening right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then I realized, wait, no, this man is not raping me. This man is saving my life. Mm -hmm. He has covered my body with his body entirely mm. and is just laying here waiting for them to pass, which they did. And I got a little bit of shrapnel in my thigh, but otherwise I was fine. And then he got up and I got up and then he was gone. I never saw him. Wow. And I still to this day wonder, was that a guardian angel? What was that? You know what I mean? Like, right. was that a person or, or was that just what I needed at the time? I have no idea. And I didn't, it didn't occur to me to ask, you know, anyone who saw this, like, what did he look like? Where did he go? Because there was just such panic right. after that. But that was one of those moments in my life where I realized, you know, we think we're in control of things. We think we understand what's going on. And we have no idea. Mm -hmm. We have no idea. We don't know who the enemy is. We don't know who our friends are. We don't know what's good for us. We don't know what's bad for us. <laughs> We are completely at the whims of the gods, you know? Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, and so that was a big turning point for me in my life to just be able to kind of give up control and say, you're right. I have no idea what I'm doing. Please guide mm. me. Take the wheel. <laughs> right. I'm just going to be a passenger here for a while and, you know, just try to live a good life because I have, boy, have I screwed this one up. <laughs> Yeah. 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 So it, that, that's a really, I, I've had one experience like that, but not, not to that degree, but certainly my yeah. first time I ever saw an active military, you know, carrying guns in public. And yeah. that was in uh, Switzerland. And, you know, Switzerland is, is Switzerland, right? They're, they're not for oh, yeah. or against anyone or anything, but, <laughs> but there are a they lot are of aggressively just, neutral. Yes, but it's a small, you know, it's a small little country. So mm -hmm. embassies are all kind of in some of the same areas. And I happened to be walking through where the, uh, the Israeli embassy was. And mm -hmm. it was the first mm -hmm. time I had ever seen m men with AK, whatever they, you know, automatic weapons, right, whatever they were, yeah. what looked like machine guns in their hand with the, the, the Miss America bands of, yep, yep, of, yep, of you know, ammunition. Ammo. Mm -hmm. And I felt so uncomfortable, but yeah. also not just so uncomfortable. And not that I'm afraid of the Israelis by any, I mean, I wasn't afraid of them necessarily, but my the thoughts that ran through my head were what if one of them is unstable? What if one of those people, um, is drunk or, or gets drunk or is drunk on the job or, what if, you know, in their instability, they do something really crazy? You know, you know, I mean, I just was like, yeah, people being armed in public is just not something I'm comfortable with. You know, yeah. I, it's too many unknowns and too many, too many things that can go wrong when you put a, an automatic weapon in the hand of an, a, a fallible human. Right. So Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I just, that was the very first time. And it really was something I did not, it, it cured me of wanting to go to any countries that where you get off, you know, a plane and you're surrounded by a military. 
I have no desire yeah. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Zero. With you. There are countries I would have liked to have seen, but I won't mm -hmm. see them now because I'm not, I'm just not going to, I mean, I don't know. I, it's just, yeah, yeah, guns and men, I don't think mix very well. <laughs> I don't think guns and anyone clearly. mix very well, but that's clearly. Yeah. Well, I don't that's mean cute. men and men and, and <laughs> of gender. Yeah. I just Humans. mean sanity. Us. Yeah. Men, women, yeah. all of us. I don't think, I, I, yeah, too powerful and too deadly. So I, yeah, I, I, I can see that that would be very disturbing and upsetting, but you stayed after that. You stayed and Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I really, the, the, the boy and I really trauma bonded over mm -hmm. that situation. Yeah, sure. And then I felt this, felt this strong sense of loyalty to him mm -hmm. because I felt like he had, even though he hadn't saved me, <laughs> actually right. in any real way. Um, it yeah. felt that way to me because he was the one who was there right afterward to kind of hold me and hold you and yeah, put me back together you. again. Adversity, um, right? People in yeah. adversity, it bonds them. Yeah. And, and again, because we weren't supposed to be seeing each other and there was all this kind of pressure, it really felt like we had to stay together. And I say this, you know, because I want people out there to, to hear that this is a really important message of the book mm -hmm. that mm -hmm that is in your head and that yeah. is if someone is treating you disrespectfully if someone is not being kind to you right. don't make excuses for them mm -hmm. and don't say to yourself oh it's okay because it's not okay it's never okay mm -hmm. and the longer you put up with it and the more you make excuses for it the worse it gets Yes. And your boundaries get pushed back and pushed yeah. back little by little until all of a sudden you look around and you're in an abusive situation. Yeah. And once you're really deeply entrenched in an abusive yeah. situation, it is unfathomably difficult to get out of it. I know. Unfathomably difficult. Yeah. Right. And as someone who, you know, has been there, I can say that, but before... I thought, oh, well, why don't you just leave? And I think a lot of people have that attitude of sure. like, well, if it's bad, like, why don't you just leave? You have no idea <laughs> how hard it is mm -hmm. to leave a situation like that with your life. It mm -hmm. is, they make it really, 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 really difficult for you <laughs> in all of the ways. Right, right. And I do think that there's a tendency among women in a certain degree that we're taught nurturing or, you oh, know, yeah. it's in our, or, or, or it's in our DNA, whichever is true, but we, we are a, a nurturing um, species and, and our uh, thought is often incorrectly that if we love them enough, they'll change. If we right. show them we'll how them. much we care about them, we can fix them. Mm -hmm. That love can conquer anything. Yes. But actually, love sometimes is not enough. Well, and I'll tell you what. I think there's a very big difference between what we think of as love and that sure. real power of what love really is. Mm -hmm. When we think about love, we often think about passion and lust and, you know, that, that feeling of being really drawn towards mm -hmm. someone. Mm -hmm. I don't think of that as love anymore. Mm. I, think of that, I think of that as attraction and mm -hmm. that has an important role to play. But mm -hmm. love is based in respect. Love is based in unconditionally accepting someone exactly where they are. Mm -hmm. And when someone is mistreating you and you don't respect the way they're treating you, mm -hmm. and yet you stay, mm -hmm. it's it's almost like it becomes a control thing where you're like, okay, I'm going to fix this person. I'm going to be the bigger person. I'm going to be the better person. And it becomes this ego trip almost where you cannot allow yourself to be seen as the bad guy. And that is what keeps a lot of people stuck in situations like this because they want to be the bigger person. They want to be the better person. They don't want to be seen as hurting this person. And since that person sees themselves as a victim, and they have to, they have to see themselves as the victim because otherwise they would have to see themselves as a perpetrator of abuse. And no one wants to see themselves that way. That feels right. terrible. They, everyone thinks they're a good person. And so in order to keep that frame 
for themselves. They have to say, this, this person is making me do this. That's definitely a, a common theme that you hear among abusers is that, you yeah. know, I wouldn't act this way if you didn't make me. Right. You, and you make so, me angry, so therefore I have to. And you right. know better than to make me angry because when right. I get angry, I do this and you are the reason why mm -hmm. I do it. Yeah. Exactly. Common. Whereas we all know, right? Hello, kids. Let's say this together. Uh, everyone's responsible for their own emotional state. Mm -hmm. Everyone. And so whenever someone tells you that, you can, your little bullshit meter should go bing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And here's a little uh, test that I like to give people because when you are first dating someone or you're just starting to get to know somebody, it can be really hard because everybody's on their best behavior. It can be hard to know if this is a person who is ultimately going to be really respectful of your boundaries or not. And right. so I call them the, 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 um, their personal representatives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Your Prince Charming mask, right? Yeah. And so here's a way to kind of tap that mask and see if it slips. So here's what you do. You find a reason to say no or push back against something. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a strong no. It could be a playful no. Uh, if they, it doesn't have to be about something important. It could be, uh, hey, I just realized, I, I know we're supposed to get together tonight, but I actually have this other thing. Can we do it tomorrow or next week or whatever? Or it could just be something as simple as uh, when they offer to buy you a second drink, you say, no, thank you. But find some reason to say no and just watch how they react. Because I'll tell you something, abusers do not like a no or even an implied no mm -hmm. and so if they get upset if they try to push and get you to accept whatever they're offering get you to say yes to whatever it is if they try to manipulate you if they use any of those tactics this is not a good situation and you need right. to get out of it yeah i think because, that's really good advice for yeah. a lot of young 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 people yeah. who are trying to you know find a partner figure it out yeah. <laughs> yeah and believe me the good ones are out there they are sure. out there but you have to wait for them because what you put up with you end up with yeah and that's just the that's just the, the facts of it if you accept that behavior from someone it will continue and it will escalate it will and i'm not saying you have to you know fight back <laughs> because that can be a very dangerous thing too. Sure. What I'm saying is when you feel like someone is not respecting your boundaries, that is not a safe person for you to be around. And that's not anything against them. They're figuring stuff out just like you are. That doesn't make them a bad person. It just makes them an unsafe person for you at this time. Mm -hmm. And it's not helpful to them for you to enable that behavior either because right. then it will continue and they will learn that this is okay. And mm -hmm. that does not help them in any relationship that they've got with you or anyone else. <laughs> right, 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 right. Great advice. Really, really great advice. And I, I hope people will be, I don't want to, I don't want to tell them, you know, I about know. your abuser because I want them to be curious and get your book because it really I want is that good. Too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it yeah. really is good, but I, 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 um, you know, if I pick this book up in the bookstore, I would be like really worried about, you, you know, your safety and about you and yeah. early on in the book. I mean, as an outsider, mm -hmm. you look at the book and you start seeing these patterns in within that culture oh, and yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. this is not going to end up well for her with any mm -hmm. men in that nope. culture. Nope. <laughs> Especially yeah. with a strong willed of independent female. That's right. Yeah. Huge cultural difference. <laughs> Huge, cultural, Huge difference. cultural difference. Yeah. And, you know, here's my, here's my dyed in the wool optimism is that I thought, you know, I could change like an entire culture. <laughs> yes. Well, you were, you were young. You were young. Yeah, I was young. I was young. Well, I will tell you another little anecdote from, from the book uh, that'll give you a better sense of the culture that we're dealing with. And, and, and you mm -hmm. read this in the book, but mm -hmm. 
there's a scene where um, his best friend, Paulin, we come home and uh, we come back to his place and his wife is not there. Akisi is late and he's furious. And at first I'm like, why, why is he so angry? Like, what, what's the big deal? Well, then I see what the big deal is. She comes home stumbling drunk. Mm-hmm. And right. so I'm, you know, I'm a little bit like, oh, okay, I can see how this is a problem. You know, obviously she's got some drinking issues. And so I'm thinking, you know, we're going to have a conversation about this. Maybe there's going to be an intervention. Well, he picks up a brick and hucks it at her face. Right. And I'm just standing there in shock. Like I had never seen domestic violence like right. did, in did person it, like that. Did right? it dawn on you or did you think, geez, he could do that to me? Did you, that, did you go there at that I, time? I didn't consciously go there, but of course it struck a chord of fear of like, this is a normal part of your culture? What? Right. And I, of course I looked at him to see his reaction and he did not seem as upset as I was. And that definitely did raise a red flag for me. And so I was, you know, furious and I'm holding Akisi and she's crying. But then she says to me something that I would never forget, which is, no, no, you don't understand. He has to do that because if he doesn't do that, then they won't know that he still loves me. Right. And I'll be fair game for anyone in this neighborhood because they think my husband has abandoned me. Right. And just the weight of all of that, unpacking all of that cultural baggage was like, oh, what? Right. What are you even talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, none of this is okay. None of this mm-hmm. is okay. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as we were walking away from that, I'm talking to him about this and, you know, asking like, is this like normal? <laughs> and he's kind of going, oh yeah, like my dad did this to my mom and, you know, but, uh, but you know, oh, I know that it's not, I know it's not good. And I'm like, not good. Like, that's all you have to say about it. Yeah. 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 And so again, it, there were so many red flags that, that should have been like, you know, the big obvious, like, stop everything's bad but like i said it's just when when it happens one after the other it's kind of like you know our political situation now it's like every day there's some new craziness happening and Mm -hmm. so you just get this kind of adrenal fatigue after a while where you're like right oh well i guess it's just the way it is now and you Mm -hmm. just accept this new normal and you just go on Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm And so I really, like I said, one of the biggest messages of this book that I really want everyone to walk away with is it's never too late to change your mind. It's never too late to turn back. Right. No matter how much sunk cost you have, no matter how far you've gone down this wrong road, it's always okay to turn back. And you can find people to help you do that. There will always be someone out there who has had an experience like this or can just empathize, (laughs) has empathy and will say, yes, of course, I'll help you get out of this situation because I'll tell you, it's very, very difficult to do this alone. You will need help to get out. Yeah. I feel really, um, uh, I, I have a lot of sympathy and feel really bad for women who are stuck in a situation or children, whoever yeah. are stuck in a situation yeah. where there's an abuser in the household and they have no support yeah. system, no parents, no anyone that they can go to, to try to have some help from. And, well, and, and right now we're in a situation right now where people cannot leave their home. They don't have a counselor to talk to. They're just stuck at home with their captor, essentially. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. weighs really heavily on me. I think about that every day, that there Mm -hmm. are people out there who are imprisoned right now Mm -hmm. with their abusers. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if there's anything to be done about that, but I just want to raise awareness that this is happening. And so if if you hear of anyone in your circle that seems mm-hmm. like they're not doing okay in the situation that they're in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, talk to them about it. Sometimes it, all they need is for someone to know that this is happening and right. to get some hope that it won't like be like this forever. 
Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I hope, uh, speaking of hope, I hope people will be curious enough to get the book and, and, uh, read it and find out what happens to you there and absolutely how you got obviously home I survived and I mean. yeah right. <laughs> how, how you got home but you know actually I will say this you get home and it doesn't get better and I'm not going to say why no, that's right yeah it's funny I I used to say you know this was sort of the summary of the book that I've given a number of times is that I found myself in a terrible situation and to escape it I put myself into a worse one yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's like out of the frying pan into the fire. And absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I think a lot of times that's what we do. We, you know, we we're just so desperate to escape a situation that we don't think, you know, long term about what what are the consequences of what I'm doing to get myself out of this situation. You just need out. Right. All of that said, all of that mm-hmm. said, I wouldn't change a thing. That's mm-hmm. why I have the subtitle on there. That's right. That life happens for you, not to you. I learned so much from this mm-hmm. experience. And I grew up <laughs> mm-hmm. so much because of this experience. And the wisdom I gained and the people I met and the experiences I had, oh, I would not trade that for anything in the world. Absolutely. Do you stay in contact with anyone there from those days at all? <sighs> Unfortunately, no. Um, Mm -hmm. mostly because they were all so very connected to my Mm -hmm. ex-husband and I just didn't want to have to put them in the situation of having to choose sides or, you know, anything like that. Um, and so unfortunately, no, I'm not really in touch with any of, um, the African people that I met Mm -hmm. during this Mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did make some friends later. I I, I went back to Africa, um, a few years later in Burkina Faso, um, where if, as if you'll recall from the book, I went, um, just on a short trip Mm -hmm. for a a theater festival. Um, but I ended up going back with my mom actually. (laughs) And I have, I have kept in touch with the people that I met, uh, during that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and here's a funny little thing, which is not in the book. So here's a little bonus for you. So Mm -hmm. after that, we were, my mom and I were in Paris on our way back from uh, Burkina Faso and we had had outfits made in Burkina Faso. So we're wearing these beautiful, colorful African dresses. Mm-hmm. And so it's very obvious that we just came from Africa. Mm-hmm. And we're walking on the steps of Sacre Coeur, where all of the African dudes hang out and they're selling their little old trinkets and stuff. And I can hear them start to whisper as we're walking by. And I hear the word Ajua a couple of times. Mm. And so I just kind of grab my mom's hand. I go, oh, here we go. <laughs> Wow. And so one of them comes up to me and says, Madame, excusez-moi, like, excuse me, like, uh, miss, can we ask you a question? And I'm like, sure. And I said, are you the girl from that clip? And mm-hmm. they're like, of course we remember that. You know, we're Ivorians. We grew up with that. Like our fake clip, that was our jam. And so then they're like, and some of them don't believe me. They're like, no, 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 it's not her. It's not her. I think they'd been placing bets or something. So they were like mm. invested in it not being me. And so then they're like, okay, now you have to prove it to us. You have to do the dance. <laughs> so I get out there. My mom is just laughing her head off. So I get out there in this big circle. They're all clapped in the rhythm, you know. And so I do my little dance routine and they all do it with me. Oh, they wow. all had it memorized. And oh wow. my gosh, I was just like, what a wild experience. It is a wild that, experience. On it, you know, it was really fun to have that come back to me in that way, in that sort of mm-hmm. echo. So, and uh, and another time I was uh, recognized in Chicago in a cab, the, you know, the cab driver. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so he was like, um, excuse me, miss, um, can you tell me? Uh, <laughs> I was like what you know like i'm not from chicago so like don't ask me anything about chicago and he's like uh is it you who is in the the and i'm like oh my gosh are you serious right now and he asked me for my autograph that's funny (laughs) cute though so really cute yeah it was really cute it was really fun yes yes well i mean a a definitely a, a um experience of a lifetime right 
Yes. A life changing experience. If yeah, ever for sure. One. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for letting me. So tell us where people can get your book and tell us where they can maybe go to a web page. Tell us all the ways people could Absolutely. find out what you do and more about what you do and how to get in touch with you. Yes, ma'am. So to find the book, you can go to amazon.com and just look up Melting Ivory. Uh, you can also go to my website, which is that's allowed, A-L-O-U-D.com. There you will find a link to the book. You will also find my podcast. Uh, and I am going to have this lovely lady on my podcast as well. Yes. So uh, you can come and hear Denise. Uh, and I also am a story coach. And what I mean by that is that I help people find the origin story, the message that is behind their brand or themselves, and help them really clarify that and get it out there in a way that feels really authentic. And that's kind of what your podcast is about, right? Storytelling? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what my podcast I, is. I love podcasts the, the that podcast, tell stories. Yeah. The, the basic premise of the podcast is that I help people tell the stories that they're not telling. Uh-oh. So that's kind of the, yeah, <laughs> you're in for it now. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, this will be fun. Okay. Yep. All right. And, uh, I'm, that's allowed at Twitter and Instagram. So you can find me in all the places. All the things, all the places. Yeah. All right. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming thank you and so being, much for uh, spending this time with me. Join me again next week as I do a new book review on the five second rule. Also, please go to the website, highnoteswithdrb.com for any podcast notes. I would also be so grateful if you would please rate, subscribe, and tell a friend about this podcast. Your support would mean so much. Thank you again for listening. I know you have other things you could be doing. Sending you all peace, love, and courage. And please, love each other.